Gospel of Luke. Once again, we've been doing this for uh, probably a year and a half. If you're curious, uh, we're going to stick with this until uh, about April. And so at some point in April, uh, we will be done kind of going through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I hope that it has been um, a gift to you uh, going through it. I know that I have really learned a lot, quite frankly, just going through it slowly but surely in a steady, stable, and plodding way. Uh, let me also say thanks to Pastor Scott and to Sam Spencer uh, for preaching the last couple of Sundays as well, um, uh, which was a great gift uh, to me and I think to this congregation as well. So we are, if you have forgotten, we are in chapter 18 in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Jesus has been kind of going since around chapter 11, uh, slowly but surely toward Jerusalem, and he is just about... Um, to finally get there. It has been a lengthy journey. Um, and so here today, he kind of makes his last um, um, testament about what is going to happen uh, as he prepares to enter into Jerusalem. And he's been speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. Uh, and with that, we get to chapter 18, verses 31 through 43. So I invite you to hear these words. Then he being Jesus, took the twelve aside and said to them, Look, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. And after they have flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again." But they understood nothing about all these things. In fact, what was said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he or what was said. And as he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, on this bitterly cold morning, we gather together in the warmth of this room, surrounded by sisters and brothers in Christ, by those who are on the journey toward Jerusalem. And we pray, Lord, that on this morning you would enliven our spirit. What you would long us to hear, have us to hear. What you would long us to see, have us to see. What you would... Longest not to hear or to see just yet, we pray that you would give us 
patience. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. From time to time, um, especially when my children were younger, uh, when we would uh, all get in our van and we go to wherever we may be having dinner that night with someone's family or uh, with a couple or whomever it may be, uh, there was, you know, with some regularity, before we got out of the van, we would kind of begin to set expectations with our children. We might say something like, you know, uh, this house, they're going to have a lot of nice things in it, so don't touch anything, right? Or, hey, you know what? We know these people, they're polite. Let's do our best to act like we're civilized, right? Or, or perhaps even, right, and this is the one that was most dismaying to them, hey, they don't have any kids that are your age, so get ready to be bored and to be okay with it. And actually, I would say by and large, our children did very well. You know, there was an you know, occasional eye roll or, or well, why do we have to do this? But by and large, they did, they did pretty well after we set these expectations. And this was the image that came to my mind when I first started looking at this passage today. Jesus has been with the crowds, but now we're told he takes the 12 aside. And he takes them aside and he begins to set expectations for them, for what is going to happen. He wants to prepare them before they arrive to Jerusalem. Here's what you can expect. He begins by saying this. I like this. He says, we are going to Jerusalem, right? In other words, no matter what happens next, I want you to know this. We are all going together, right? And part of that is just simply this command, like no matter what we are going. But a part of it, especially perhaps later for the disciples, would be a gift when they realize that we are going means that Jesus is going to be with us. And then he goes on and he says, you know what, this is going to happen to fulfill what the prophets have said. I just want to set this apart real quickly because during Advent we talked about these prophets and what it was that they were prophesying. And so we, we talked about the fact that these poetic prophets had oftentimes painted these, these poignant uh, pictures about what was to be. It was this reminder that what has always been does not always have to be. And Jesus is saying that these wheels are turning and this is about to happen. But then he makes very clear what is going to occur. He tells them that he is going to be handed over to the Gentiles, that he's going to be mocked, insulted, spat upon, flogged, and killed. And then on the third day, he would rise again. Now, let's be honest. That may not sound like exactly what you would want, but it seems pretty clear. Most of us, if we heard, okay, this person's about to be spat upon and flogged and uh, arrested and, and killed and raised the third day, most of us would say, okay, this makes sense. We may not like it, but we get it. But not the disciples. The disciples were told they are clueless. I mean, Luke says it almost a couple times, really. He says they don't understand, and then he says that they didn't grasp it. 
What's wrong with these disciples? How do they not understand exactly what it is that Jesus is saying? Now, I appreciate one commentator. He, he defended uh, the disciples. He said, look, let's be frank, right? These disciples had seen Jesus walk on water, heal the blind, uh, even raise Lazarus from the dead. It would have been nearly impossible for them to have ever believed that this same person could then become the victim of someone else. But now there's also something else that Luke says that's interesting, which is that Jesus, or that, or, or that these things were hidden from the disciples. There's been a lot of ink that has been spilled over what exactly that means. Does that mean that it was hidden because these disciples just weren't that bright? Does it mean that they, uh, it was hidden from them again because they just simply could not imagine it? Or does it mean that, that God intentionally kept it hidden from them, intentionally wanted to make sure that they did not understand exactly what he was saying? The truth is, we don't know exactly. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But as I was thinking about it this week, I realized that perhaps that's not actually the most important part of the story. What we should perhaps just realize is that for whatever reason, they did not understand. For whatever reason, they were lost. I think this morning it's important for us just to take a little bit of time, because I'm not sure how often we do it, pondering the importance of being lost. Matt Studeman kind of helped me to begin to see this and wrestle with some of this. The truth is that most of us spend time not understanding. Most of us spend time kind of lost. Maybe it's in our own personal lives. Maybe it's after something tragic happens. Maybe it's our understanding of our faith. Maybe it's our understanding of God. But most of us, if we are honest, we would admit that we do spend time being lost, not knowing exactly what to do or what direction to go. And that can be really difficult for us, especially in our culture now, right? We have things like Google, right? I mean, my kids, you know, they can know anything, right? We, we didn't used to know this, right? If they had a question about something, they just Google it. We would have to go to the encyclopedia. You guys remember that, right? You'd be like, right? And you blow it off and then you would look, but the information was really only about as good as like 1968 or whatever that last thing was, right? But not now, right? Now you just go and you just Google it and it's like, okay, now I should know everything. I should have as much clarity as is humanly possible. But not only do we have Google, of course, we also have GPS, right? So there's a sense that we should never really be lost, you remember atlases? Remember, that's how you would know. You know what? And I feel like, and this is not true, but I feel like if a kid these days, this is, I'm not making fun of kids these days, but if they open the atlas, you know what they would be looking for? The blue dot. Where am I on this atlas? Where, where, how am I supposed to know this, right? It's very hard for us to understand, right? So we think we have this sense that we should know Everything, it just begins. It's one of these kind of things that we don't even think about. It's very subconscious. We think we should just know everything. So when we know everything, but then we get in a situation where we become lost physically, emotionally, spiritually, we begin to grow confused. We are uncomfortable with not knowing exactly what and the why to everything. Perhaps in a passage today where these disciples are clearly lost, it might be an invitation 
for us to begin to say, rather than just trying to do everything we can to get unlost, that perhaps there is a gift in being lost and having things hidden from us, and perhaps there is something for us to learn in the midst of that if we have the courage to just simply at times live in our lostness. Two summers ago, uh, when I was in Germany, I spent about a month there, and uh, I was in Freiburg, a southwestern part, and I'd gone, uh, I'd gone out on a long bike ride, and I'd seen this flyer. It was a flyer for an acapella group. Now, I know acapella is not everyone's, you know, tea, but I like acapella. It's by this group called Ciela, S-J-A-E-L-L-A, I believe. Maybe it's Ciela. Who knows what it is? But I saw it. I was like, oh, it looks interesting. So I decided I was going to go. What else did I have to do? I had no wife or kids around. I had all the freedom in the it was horrible. And so I said, okay, I want to go. It was a Sunday. It was going to be Sunday around one o'clock. I said, okay, that's great. I know what I'm going to do. I'll take the train. It's about a 20 minute ride. I'll take the train to this little town. I'll go to worship on a Sunday morning at the church there. And then I will walk over and go see uh, this concert. Everything was perfect until I woke up on Sunday morning and I realized that my phone had not charged. Now, not only had it not charged, but no matter how many times I plugged it in, and I tried about a thousand times, I could not get it to charge. It was dead. Which meant I wasn't going to have this kind of map with me, right? So I had to decide, well, what do you do? Do you just not go? Uh, you know, maybe. And, and so I said, well, you know what? I have the internet still. So I, I went on my computer and I could see where it was and I couldn't print it off because I didn't have access to a printer, but I could have written some things down. But I just kind of looked at the map and said, okay, that's where the train will go. That's where the church is. This is where the concert's going to be. Pfft, no problem. I'm good. Which was true until I got off the train. And when I got off the train and I stepped on the platform, I realized, wait, 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 this is not what it's supposed to look like, right? Like the grocery store should have been over here, but it was actually over here. Nothing else looked, looked right. And I was like, wait, this is, this is not good. I, don't, I, I actually don't know where I am right now. And I made an assumption as well that, well, you know what, when people get off the train, most of the group will go towards whatever is, you know, wherever that most of the stuff for the town is. What was a Sunday morning? Which meant there were like five or six people getting off and they all went in different directions. Not only that, but I thought, well, you know what, this is going to be a small town probably. And there'll, I'll see a big steeple, right? It's a good news. Oh, wait, there's a tall steeple. But it wasn't that small and there was no steeple. And I stepped off and I realized that I had a feeling that I had not had in a very long time. Do you remember this feeling of being literally physically lost and not knowing where to go? It was strange. I hadn't used this muscle in a really long time. And it was fascinating because I kind of watched myself as I did this, right? And, and, you know, typically when you get off and you don't know where you are, you know what you do, right? You are geared in towards this screen, Right? And that's what you do. Your world becomes this little screen, and this is how you know where you are going. And it's great. It will tell you how long it's going to take. It'll tell you whether you should take public transportation or, or drive or walk. It, it'll say this is how long it's going to take. All those things, right? You're buried into this thing. Well, all of a sudden, right, that was thrown because it didn't work. It wasn't charged. So all of a sudden, well, you, know, you, be, you begin to look around. You become remarkably present. Because I began to look around and say, okay, if I were a church, where would I be? 
you know, and you look around and, you know, I, I mean, I know, you know, I've been around church folks. I know where they like to plant themselves. So I got to figure, oh, I might be able to figure this thing out. What I noticed as well is that I walked very, very slowly. Because when you don't know exactly where you are, you don't want to walk very fast because you very well might be walking fast in the wrong direction. And you don't want to miss something. And so I began to walk, but I began to walk very slowly. And one of the things else that happens, you know, is that you begin to walk oftentimes in the wrong direction and you have to continually be like, nope, that's not right. I got to turn back around and go back. Nope, that's not right. I messed up again. And you go back. And this is this constant sense of being lost. And of course, the other part of it is this, is that you also then, you have to begin to depend on people that you otherwise might not want to depend on. So this is what I had to deal with because as I was there, I was like, look, I have some extra time. I'd kind of built that in, but, but I wanted to get to the church at some point. And, and, and so finally I saw a woman and she was walking and you know, we talked about this. I did, I, I, you know, my German is just subpar and, and, and so trying to kind of have this awkward, but you know what, when you're lost, you throw that aside and you're like, hey, man, I got no, you know, vo is the care right? Where is the church, right? And of course, you know, what did she do? She immediately went to English because she's like, you stink at this, so let me just say this to you, right? Which is embarrassing, but I, you know what? I didn't care because I was lost, right? And so then she kind of said, okay, well, this is the direction that you had. And you know what? I, I had to trust her. She could have been leading me to my death. I didn't know, but I had to trust her. I could no longer just trust myself, right? And so, you know, she kind of said, well, you got to go in this direction. And I, all right, that makes sense. And so I, I kind of did and just kept going. And slowly but surely, finally then, much to my surprise and great joy, I finally located the church, which was great, of course. But then you know what happens is after that, I needed to then find the concert. And so again and again, right, this is kind of what happened when you're midst of that. I just, I had forgotten the practice of being lost. And I hadn't thought about that actually all that much until I began to look at this passage and think about these disciples and just how lost they were. I had forgotten what it means to grow in some comfort with being lost so that now when I'm lost, I get panicky and all I want to do is make sure I can find exactly where I'm going. But you see, when we begin to grow comfortable with being lost, with this sense of maybe not knowing the right answer, of maybe not understanding where we are, where we are, knowing why it is that we are where we are, when we begin to develop that, when we begin to experience that, and all of us experience it, if we, rather than just saying, I have to know the what and the why right now, if we can simply begin to say, what might I learn? See, because what it does is, A, it forces you to slow down. We don't like to slow down. It forces us to slow down. It forces us to actually be present. You know, whenever I'm driving and Megan is navigating and we're going, she'll say, okay, this is the light. You're going to turn right. And well, you know what I immediately say is, okay, that's great. What's next? I want to know what's next because as soon as we turn right, I need to know, am I going to take another left or am I going to take a right? Which lane do I need to be in, right? Which means I'm never actually there. I'm always about what's next. 
And I'm reminded, I said this on Christmas Eve morning, Brian Herhusky and, and Denise Herhusky, who are, as he wrestles with ALS, and one of the things that he says that they've learned is this, is the great gift of today. So all of a sudden, right, whenever it is that you are in this position of being lost, you slow down, you begin to pay attention. You begin to look at what is present, at what is happening right now. Most of us spend our lives focused on what's happening tomorrow or next year or 10 years, just imagining that we're going to know the exact direction to go. And there is a gift when something happens that forces you to be lost and being able to say, maybe I am moving far too quickly and I have no idea what's actually happening around me. There's also, of course, this great sense, as Barbara Brown Taylor says in her book, An Altar in the World, she says there's this great sense, again, of you cannot be self-sufficient, that you have to depend on others. We like to think that we can do all of this on our own, and there are few things uh, that, that are more effective at helping us to forget that we can't do everything on our own like being lost. There's this remarkable humility that comes. There is a intentioned hiddenness that God gives to what he is telling the disciples. It will be revealed. Remember, we'll see this, the road to Emmaus. We talk about this a lot when it comes to communion. They were lost that day on the way to Emmaus. And then finally, when Jesus broke bread, then their eyes Saul. Barbara Brown Taylor, when she talks about being lost, she says it can be a spiritual exercise if you allow it. Here's what she says. She says anything can become a spiritual practice once you are willing to approach it that way. Once you let it bring you to your knees and show you what is real, including who you really are, who other people are, and how near God can be when you have lost your way. Alan Culpepper says that truth at times is like it's on a time lock. Does that make sense? In other words, sometimes the truth is just genuinely hidden. We may want to know why is this happening? Why are we here? What's going on? And we think that we just need more information, but perhaps that information is not yet to be revealed to us, which means that we then need to begin to ask different questions. What do I have to learn right now from where I am rather than just simply how do I reach my destination? Right after this, after we're told that they don't understand, that they are lost, we have the story of the blind man. But see, I think that this is just simply another story about someone else lost. If you're blind, physically, the odds, of course, are very good that you're going to be lost a decent amount. But not just physically, also spiritually. In this time, but even now, when something horrible like that happens, it seems like he used to be able to see. It says, you know, can you make me see again? Uh, uh, that, that, that you begin to wonder, what, what happened to me? Why, 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 why me? There's all these questions of lostness. Why is God upset with me if this is happening? Is this my fault in some way? And of course, you also see the fact that he has to slow down, right? I mean, he's literally stopped. 
And that clearly he depends on other people. He is there begging. He desperately needs the help of others, right? He's lost, but he seems to know it. He doesn't seem to be, you know, he seems to be, you know, somewhat almost comfortable with it. And yet, this is great. I love this. A, uh, many have pointed this out, which is great. He sees what those who see do not see, right? Because they say, oh, what's going on? And he's like, he's like, what's all this hullabaloo, right? And they say, oh, well, well, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And do you see what he says? You know, he says, oh, no, this is Jesus, uh, son of David, right? He knows that this is more. This is the Messiah, right? He sees what they do not see. But I love this because he yells out, right? Jesus, son of David, And what do all the people around him say? Shh, quiet down, quiet down. And what does he do? He shouts even louder. This is the little brother, right? That when he knows he's annoying, he doesn't care. And so he says, Jesus, son of David, even louder. You know what? He does not care what they think. As Barbara Brown Taylor again says, she says, you know what? When you are lost, those other things that are, almost everything becomes insignificant. You don't care. You don't care about that television show you were watching. You don't care about this or that. All these kind of peripherals because what you know is that you are lost. He doesn't give a flip at all about what anybody else thinks. It has a way, being lost has a way of giving you crystal clear focus. And I love this. Because right after this, Jesus says he's healed. We're told that the blind man begins to follow him. And then we are told that everyone starts praising God. Everyone begins to praise God. It's this beautiful thing where all of a sudden this one blind man, this lost man, all of a sudden helps all those other lost people around him. As they gather together, they begin to focus on Jesus and they begin to praise God. Now they haven't reached their destination. It's not like this happened and all of a sudden now they're in Jerusalem. But it is this sense that what they begin to see is this great joy of knowing that they are not alone. It's like D.T. Niles, a famous quote, uh, uh, um, uh, about Christianity. It's one beggar uh, uh, showing another beggar where to find food. Oftentimes, these journeys that we are on are like one lost person helping another lost person find their next step in the journey. And there is a great celebration when this occurs. We got time. When I was in seminary, um, I, I, there was a weekend, I was in New Jersey, and two of my buddies, Trevor and Nick, uh, we wanted to go up to Boston for the weekend. And so we said, okay, great. Now, this was 20-some years ago, so no phone, no GPS, but we did have MapQuest. Do you remember MapQuest? Oh, that's good stuff. I think that may still be around, I don't know, but... So we printed off MapQuest, right? We didn't need Alice's. You print off MapQuest, you know, we staple it, we're good to go. You know, you just kind of turn it, everything's good. So we're going, it's all fine. But then we get somewhere, I don't remember where. It was dark out. I'm going to guess we were in Connecticut somewhere. But what I know for sure is that we had no idea where we were. We were lost, right? And we couldn't figure it out. We kept looking at this thing like, oh my goodness. And again, you can't look at your phone. I mean, it's amazing how just 
how much that's in our system now. We couldn't. So finally we said, all right, well, you know, there's a gas station right there. Let's go into this gas station. Let's ask this guy, you know, I mean, you know, maybe this person can help us. We walk in, the three of us walk in, I kid you not, he looked up at us and he says, MapQuest. <laughs> I mean, it was weird, right? And we were like, how does he, you know, it was weird. And he's like, and we're like, uh, yeah, is he trying to get to Boston? Yes. And he's like, okay, you know, here's what you need to do. You need to go back down this road, and then you're going to turn right. Whatever he said, you know, they're left. And so we were like, how did you know? You know, are you an angel? <laughs> and he's like, no. He's like, you know, MapQuest, they, they messed up the directions. And so he said, people are constantly lost. People are constantly coming in here trying to find Boston. So we turned around and we walked out. And I got to tell you, man, we were like super psyched. A, we realized, because we thought we were stupid and that we must have met. No, no, no. We knew that there were a whole lot of other lost people who had no idea where they were going. And if you're this guy, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this guy, he's probably bored. He probably hated his job. I don't know. Maybe he loved it. But I bet you there was something that, you know, that is enjoyable about being able to help people know their way and being able to say, I understand because I've seen a lot of other people like and in some ways, as I was thinking about that guy and I was thinking about this blind man, I think, you know, they have some similarities there. Like this blind man, all of a sudden, right, he's able to help somebody else, right? There's this joy and there is a joy in knowing that you are not alone in this journey. And, and it wasn't like, you know, he didn't take us to Jerusalem he didn't, or to Boston. He didn't say, okay, this is exactly where you're going to go. But he did point us to the next place, right? And we got to go in this next place together and we got to do this together. And we knew that we weren't alone and we knew that it might be a while before we actually reached this place, just like the disciples still didn't quite know, but at least they had this great kind of confirmation that they were headed in the right direction, right? That Jesus, you know, healed this man. Well, I don't know. I don't have it all figured out, but man, I'm going to stay close to Jesus because he clearly knows what he's doing. And this blind man's excited and he seems to know something about Jesus that we don't know. And so you just keep going together. And there is this remarkable joy from simply being on this journey, no matter how lost you may feel. It's easy. I remember thinking this when I was probably 15, 16 years old. At that point saying, I can't wait until I'm in my mid-20s when I'm going to have everything figured out. <laughs> I literally can remember thinking that. I wasn't going to have questions about a relationship. I wasn't going to have questions about God. I wasn't going to have any questions. This is going to be amazing. It must be great to be 25. It's easy for us to think that we will reach a destination where everything will begin to make sense. But what I've discovered over the years is that by and large, life is oftentimes a journey from one lost place to the next. You know, sometimes, again, we think, well, it's, you know, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll graduate from high school. That will make sense. We'll go to college. We'll graduate, you know, okay, and, and, then, and then we'll feel right. And then we do. We get there. And we're like, no, I don't think this is quite right. And then we go, oh, wait, it must be when we get that first job. That's when we really have it figured out. We get that first job. Like, oh, 
really figure that out yet. No, no, no. And then you think, oh, well, maybe it's around this next job. And you think, okay, this is the right destination. And, and yeah, that'd be fine. But then you're like, ah, oh, maybe something else. And there's this continual sense of, of not quite ever completely understanding. Maybe it's kids, right? I've certainly noticed this with my own children, right? You, you know, you have these babies and, you know, and I've shared this before, I'm sure, you know, that very first night, literally that first night after we brought Shaughnessy, our oldest home, and just going through books, trying to figure out how do we shut this child up? You know, I mean, I, I, shut up was not on the index, but I mean, I looked for the right one. And I mean, I was literally trying to find this. I was exhausted. I was like, how do we get this child to be quiet, right? And the good news is that you finally kind of figure this out at some point, right? You're like, oh yeah, I got this. And then they start walking. And then they become toddlers. You're like, oh my goodness, it's this whole new thing. And so then you've got to figure that out, right? And, and maybe you finally, you get that. And then they become adolescents and you're like, oh my goodness, it's still hidden from me. I can't quite get there. And then you kind of figure that out and then they leave, and then they come back, and then you've got to figure out, what does that look like now? And I have kids that come back. What does this relationship look like? You're never actually there. And maybe it's the same even, of course, with God. There are times, right, when we think, okay, I feel like I've kind of got God figured out. I, I, have this, I have this God. I have this faith thing figured out, and I've got this. But then, of course, something happens where all of a sudden you realize, no, 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 that's, that, wait. My God is, you know, someone has said, my God is too small. This isn't who God is. And, and so you have to keep wrestling. Now, let me be clear. This doesn't mean you can never under, you, this doesn't mean that you can never know God. Um, I appreciated what someone said, uh, which is that God is uh, knowable, but there's a big difference between being knowable and being fully understandable. There's a lot of people I know who uh, make New Year's resolutions. Sometimes they start coming to worship. And maybe they haven't been in a while. That's great. And sometimes a part of it is this sense of unsettledness and this sense of I, I, I'm, I'm wrestling. And so if you're here today or maybe you've been a long time kind of zpc -er, but 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 some of this is kind of brewing and you're like, I just don't quite understand. I want to challenge you in that moment that rather than just trying to say, okay, I've just got to get out of this place. I just have to understand this thing. I just have to know exactly why I'm here. All those things are very natural. But perhaps we can begin to maybe even look at this a bit more as a practice. Maybe to see the gift it is to just simply slow down To begin, even in the midst of not knowing exactly where you are, to pay attention to what's happening around you. To focus a bit more on the day rather than tomorrow. To begin to lean more into people than just trying to do it all yourself. To know, of course, that we are going to Jerusalem with Jesus that we do not take this journey alone. And if we can see that it is better to be at lost at times, headed to Jerusalem with Jesus, than it is to be alone in the facade of the safety of our own home, then I would venture to suggest we will begin to experience Jesus and each other in deeper ways that we will begin to see that getting lost is not necessarily a sign that you 
are on the wrong journey. That it very well might be the clearest indication yet that you are exactly where God wants you to be. Let us pray. God, we oftentimes go through seasons of being lost. Physically, perhaps, at times, Lord, but even more so spiritually or emotionally. Not knowing why we are where we are, not knowing why what is happening to us is happening to us. Feeling even like we're alone in this and that everyone else seems to know exactly where they're headed. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would help us to see that just as those disciples did not understand, just as they could not grasp something which seemed so clearly evident to us, that it is this great gift for us to be able to exhale and to realize that we are not alone in feeling lost. And that looked at, Lord, through the correct lens that we can begin to see what a gift it can be. Draw us to one another, Lord, and allow us, help us to show others as well what it looks like to be lost. And the ways in which we have experienced you even in the midst of that lostness. That we might grow closer to you and to one another. Continue to take steps toward Jerusalem. It's in your name we pray. Amen.